Good morning, Christ Central. <laughs> Not such a good morning for some of you guys. Um, it is good to see you guys. Um, oh, the, the lights are really bright this morning. Uh, if you are joining us here for the very first time, we once again want to welcome you guys to Christ Central Placentia. My name is David. Uh, I am one of the assistant pastors who works primarily with college students. Uh, this summer, um, we've been going over a series, summer series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, the reason why I love why we decided to delve into FAQ is because we don't want to shy away. We want to answer some, some real tough, difficult questions. And once again, I hope that if you missed any of them, you guys can go to our website and then find out some of the questions that we address. You could be blessed by uh, hearing some of the sermons. Uh, today, I have the difficulty, the challenge to answer the question, do babies, where do babies go when they die? What about aborted babies? And as I'm thinking and processing this question, I cannot imagine a greater pain, greater sorrow that any parent can ever go through than to experience the death of their lost child, whether it's in the womb or outside of the womb. I mean, I have a personal experience, but it may not be as um, extended or as processed for myself because I, I myself am sensitively very unaware and disconnected at times with pain and struggle. I know that sounds weird, but uh, that's just uh, my personality. Uh, after we had Jake, who's now four, we uh, were pregnant with our second baby, and uh, we found out right away at about week six or seven, and everything was good, the baby was healthy, heartbeat was good, and at week 12 or week 13 when we went in for another checkup, the doctor told us that uh, there was no heartbeat. And um, when we heard those news, I think for me personally, I did not do well with the process of not only understanding and, and, and hearing that, um, not because I was grieving, but because I was so selfish. I just, I was more mad at myself that I couldn't fix this situation. Um, I share this just as a personal um, story because I, if, if there's, there's people sitting here this morning, you yourself have had a miscarriage, some of you multiple miscarriages, some of you had to go through an emotionless process of maybe an abortion. Or maybe some of you guys had a stillborn or, or had to experience, again, the death of maybe someone who, who, who just died at stillborn or died a couple of months into being born. And I want to reassure you, you are not alone. Not only are you not alone, but this is a question where it allowed me to go back into my personal experience and to kind of process what was going on. And if you yourself sitting here has not gone through something like this, I guarantee you there are people in your circle and in your community that are going through that right now or will go through this. And so I ask you, what do you say? What do you say when a friend of yours who knows you're a believer comes to you and says, look, they just buried their child or they just had an abortion or they had a miscarriage and they labor over this question and they ask you, where did my child go? I think there's great temptation in all of our hearts to say, look, 
they're in heaven. There's great temptation for us to not only comfort our friend and to say, look, they are in heaven and, and you know, they may be comforted temporarily and say, well, you know what, thank you so much, but what's your basis? How did you arrive there? How do you know truly 110% that my child is actually in heaven in eternity and, and what would you respond and how would you say, what would you say? Would you just kind of say this blanket, you know, I know God is, God is loving And as true as that may be, we could use that to answer many, many things. I think we can do better than that. There's a difficulty in this question that I want to address and let you know that throughout scriptures, there's not one specific verse that we can turn to and go to and say, look, uh, we can dogmatically say that all babies go to heaven. There isn't one verse. Actually, scripture stays silent in that topic. In other words, we can't turn to one specific area and say, look, this is where it says, God says that all babies go to heaven. And I had to actually wrestle with this because for me, there was this inclination to believe and to think and to know that God is just, that Abraham proclaims in Genesis 18.25 that he will do right. God, you are love. And, and I've grown with this understanding that you're extremely gracious and merciful. God, of course you would not send innocent or babies to heaven, I mean to hell, would you God? And I had to really wrestle with this thought and question, but you know what, unfortunately, again, nowhere in scripture, God stays silent. Yet at the same time, we can find comfort in two passages that I want to look at this morning. And, and this is a question not only that you may have labored with, but in history, there's been so many different views. There's the extreme universalists who will say, all go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or old. Everybody goes to heaven, which I don't believe there's any scriptural basis to support that idea. And there's the other extreme that says, you know, we don't believe in an afterlife. And so babies that die, they just kind of cease to exist. And so they just kind of are gone. And that's another extreme which I do not believe scripturally supports that idea, and in the middle, we have so many different kind of views. You know, some people will say only the baptized will go to heaven, and there's those believers who say all go to heaven, and people who have that view will use the age of accountability to support their view that all go to heaven. The age of accountability says that we cannot hold guilty a child or infant who's not morally capable of being aware of their choices. But for me, I, I don't know if scripturally fully supports that. Uh, people will say that, you know, I, and, and, and actually let me quote to you what Alan Bandy, who is an editor for Christianity Daily, writes, and they have, they have found some, some studies that show how early in an infant's life they are aware. Let me read this to you. Uh, according to research by Karen Wynn at Yale University's Infant Cognition Center, also known as the Baby Lab, babies as young as three months show preference for an individual who is seen helping rather than harming. In another study by Kylie Hamlin of the University of British Columbia, babies as young as eight months 
were observed embracing the punishment of bad characters. Yale psychology professor Paul Bloom, who's married to Wynne, explains that the sense of morality found in infants is tragically limited and a product of cultural development, but it's nevertheless present. Now, I don't need to quote to you some smart person's finding of children. Ask any parent here. Ask any parent here, when children are born, what scripture actually does say is that we are tainted, that we have original sin, that when babies are born, they're not inclined and born with this bent towards righteousness and holiness and wanting to obey parents or God. We're born with an inclination, a bent towards unrighteousness and unholiness. You know, I will tell you what our framework here is that will hopefully help us understand and answer this question better. Our framework here is one that we are brought forth in iniquity, all of us. David himself in Psalm 51 answers this question. I have been brought forth in iniquity. My mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. Apostle Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions. He doesn't say, well, let's make an exception here, babies and infants. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, says Apostle Paul, absolutely none. So not only are we brought forth in our our iniquity, God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. This is a point that we must clearly understand. We do not deserve it and can do nothing to earn it, and thus, it is all by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Exodus 33, 19. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Our salvation is established solely by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And if that's true, then there's a dual eternity. We're either redeemed to heaven or unredeemed to hell. This is the framework that I need you to understand because as we look at these passages in Job and in 2 Samuel, I want us to compare, to contrast, and find comfort that although scripture does not dogmatically point us to one area and say that all babies go to heaven, there is hope. There is hope because these passages in Job and these passages in 2 Samuel hopefully gives us a hint to see, okay, babies do actually go to heaven of testimonies of people who've actually gone through the death, the mourning of their own very child. And so if you have your Bibles, can I ask you to turn to Job? That's the first passage that I want us to look at. It is Job chapter 3. And in Job chapter 3, we're told that God says of Job that he's one of the most righteous people on the earth. And the first chapters of Job, we're told that not only is he physically attacked by Satan, he has boils all over his body. He's physically going through excruciating pain, but emotionally, emotionally, he loses 10 of his own children, 10 of his own children. I mean, I cannot fathom, I cannot imagine the the, the, pain and sorrow that Job here is going through, and it is in Job chapter 3, verse 11, that he makes this confession. Why did I not die at birth? 
Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept and I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not as hidden, stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. Here in probably the most excruciating period in Job's life, he makes this confession, he has physical pain, he has emotional, just heavy weight of just trying to grieve and process what his children, they just died. And he says, God, I lament over the day I was born. Why was I not stillborn, he says. He says, why was I not stillborn? That's a place of extreme rest. And in scripture, we're never told that hell is described as a place of rest. In fact, in Revelation, we're told that heaven, John says this is, that, he, that heaven is described as a place of ultimate rest. And I know some of you were, are probably thinking, well, we can't take Job's confession here, credible word by word. As you just said, David, he's going through an excruciating amount of pain and and, and just emotional distress, of course he's going to say things like this. We can't take it word by word. And I would say to you back, that may be true if he didn't understand where he was going. But in Job chapter 19, towards the end, this is what he says. You don't have to turn there. Just listen carefully. Job 19, verse 22 and 23 Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. He's about to drop some theological bomb truth here. He's saying, look, I wish this was recorded somewhere. And it is in verse 25 that he confesses, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. He's assured of where he's going. And when he says in Job, three, look, I wish I was stillborn. I wish that I, God, I lament over this. It's because he understands that babies do go to heaven, at least those who believe in him. He says, I lament. This is a place of great rest. I wish I was stillborn. This is Job, folks. You know, another passage that that is actually supports and I hope brings understanding that believing families and Christians have great comfort that their child is in heaven is 2 Samuel chapter 12. And this is where I want to turn to at this time, 2 Samuel chapter 12. You guys all know the story, or you may know the story of David and Bathsheba and how he committed adultery and murder and through prophet Nathan, he's brought this news, look, you've messed up, but God will not uh, execute capital punishment on you, but your child is going to die. 
The, the, the child that you conceive with Bathsheba will die. And, and like any parent would do, for seven days, he's fasting. He's pleading with God. He's saying, God, you're merciful, you're gracious. Let my child live. And on the seventh day, he sees that the servants are whispering amongst themselves because they know and realize that the child had died on the seventh day. But the servants are scared to tell King David because they noticed his crazy pattern on the past seven days. He's not eating. He's not standing up. If we tell him the news that his child died, he's actually going to be even more mad, more crazy. He's going to behave. He's going to harm himself. And so they don't tell him, but David catches on. He has sensitivity. He has a radar and he says, did my child die? And the servants say, yes. And surprisingly, to our shock, you know what he does? He gets up, he begins to worship, he goes into the temple, he cleanses himself, he eats. And the, the, the servants are shocked, they're like, what's going on? You were pleading, you didn't eat, you were fasting when the child was alive, but now that the child is dead, you are, you, you're eating, you're normal, you're worshiping, and this is what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Verse 22 and 23, he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And it is this part, church, I want you guys to focus. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I shall go to him, my child who just died, I shall go to him, and he will not return to me. I know that. Some critics may say David here is talking about the grave. He's talking that he will one day die. But when I read this, I'm like, no, he has hope. He just anointed, cleansed himself. He's worshiping God. He has hope, 110% assurance that one day he will see the child. And not only that, but he comforts his wife Bathsheba afterwards. Can you imagine if the truth was that, the, that he proclaims that the child will, that he, will show, he, he shall go to the child because he's simply going to die? How can he comfort his wife with that truth? Bathsheba, it's okay. You know, we're all going to die one day. One day we're all just, no, he has assurance. He himself in Psalm 51 and Psalm 63, Psalm 16, he knows the ways, the plans of the Lord. King David understands that the steadfast covenantal promised love of Christ Jesus is greater than life. He knows these things. He knows these truths, not only cognitively, but he believes in it. And as he believes in it, he can proclaim and he can say, although this child may not come to me, there is a chasm here. I will go to him. There is great, great comfort here in the confession of David when he says, I shall go to my child. I turned to my wife as I was just praying through this prayer and through this, I said, "Hun, we, we have three babies. I've never expressed that with my mouth. It's funny how as I'm preparing for the sermon, God is even giving me a, a healing through me. Honey, that we're actually gonna see our second child and there was this excitement in my heart. 
overwhelmed with emotional, like, oh my God, although my aspirations and my dreams for that baby that we may have had a miscarriage were sure, and I may have put it in a place where I don't want to touch it, that God, I will one day see the second baby, and somehow the second baby is going to recognize me. Oh God, thank you. We had a little moment, my wife and I were just like, wow, this is hopeful, comforting news. You know, I don't know if you've been listening carefully here. I've told you there's not one specific scripture that we can turn to and say all babies go to heaven. And I personally stand that in areas that the scripture stays silent, I cannot dogmatically, confidently stand up here and to tell you that this is what scripture says. I cannot. Uh, but staff at our church, we will tell you and assure you that there is a bent, a, a sentimentality, whatever you want to call it. There is this great hope and truth that we believe that although scripture does not say, man, we, we, we rest in the fact that b- believing families have an assurance, unbelieving families, God will do what is right. He is merciful, he is gracious. And if you are sitting here and you're an unbeliever, there is hope. If you're sitting here and you're an unbeliever and you've experienced and you're going through this pain right now as of this moment of laboring over this question, you just lost a child and here the preacher's telling you, well, I don't know if unbelieving families, children are going to go to heaven. There's parts in scripture that says Jesus himself holds kids and infants and says they're in my arms and the kingdom of God is for children such as these. And in the words, vivid words of a, of a Southern Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he says that for the unbeliever, your child is pleading with you to submit to Christ Jesus. That there is hope If you're an unbeliever and you're going through this pain, there is assurance. He's saying, turn to Christ Jesus. Submit your life to the ultimate true manifestation of God's love in his son Jesus, who experienced himself the death of his own child, but he gave it because he wanted us to have full life understanding, peace, comfort in him. You know, there was a second part of this message as I was thinking about this question. I had to ask, okay, the question submitted was, do babies go to heaven? What about aborted babies? And I had to really think about this because I was wondering if whoever submitted this question is experiencing a crazy amount of either guilt, maybe void. And I would be doing this service if I just did not answer the question underlying that question. If you are the individual who submitted this question because 
you feel there's this great amount of guilt because maybe you went through the emotionless process of, uh, of an abortion or maybe even in miscarriage, there's this sense of guilt, neglect. I've got news for you. God has a triple focus in his redemptive plan. And I'll end with this. God wants to redeem your past. And he has the question you ask yourself at that point is not, God, do you forgive me? But the question should be, are you willing to receive his forgiveness? God redeems our past. And one of the things that I believe is really difficult during the season where he wants to redeem our past is where we reflect and think, have I gone through a process of grieving and have I embraced it? I told you myself, I was not able to process this well, not only because of my makeup and my personality, it was just so many different things. Like my wife would come home weeks after with a drastic new haircut. You know what I would say? You don't look good, honey. I mean, hello, hello. It wasn't until I was driving one day and I was just thinking about my child. It was so weird. I told you that I was more mad about me. Like, I was mad that I couldn't fix this situation, but I was driving weeks after my wife got a haircut, and she even told me recently that there would be nights where she would cry uncontrollably, and I'm like, what? There was a sense of, man, where was I? You know, I, I felt like there was this piece of me that I was like, man, I'm a bad husband. But as I was driving, there was this thought that came to me. I'm like, hey, you know, you actually had dreams for this child. You actually had aspirations, and although they were cut short, they were real. And all of a sudden, there were tears flooding my eyes as I was driving. And I'm like, what is going on here? I don't like this feeling. And that, I believe, was a process of just beginning to embrace that specific situation of grieving. God redeems your past. He wants to. But have you embraced it by grieving? Have you talked to God? Have you healed in community? One of the lies of the enemies is that people around your community do not care about what matters to you. That's a thought. When you want to share, when you want to talk, there will be a lie in your heart that says, look, people around you, they don't care. Don't share. And, and our brother Roy went through, uh, our counselor who, who has gone several weeks ago over a message, he, he explained it beautifully about sharing with saved people. You don't want to share with just some people that may not really understand what you're going through. But all this to say, have you talked to God? Have you talked to people? Because God redeemed your past. The question is not, does he forgive you? It's, are you willing to forgive, to receive his forgiveness? He, he dealt with that on the cross already through the, son, through the death and resurrection of his son. Triple focus, he redeems our past, but he provides power and hope for our present lives. 
so that you may be fulfilled and live a beautiful, empowered life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in that, church? That not only does he redeem our past, but as he does, that he provides hope and future in Christ Jesus for your present life now. That there is a hope that we cling to, and his name is Christ Jesus. That our, be- that our life is beautiful because we are in him. And that he provides heaven, eternity in our future. If you submitted that question, find great comfort, come to Christ Jesus, self-reflect. I mean, as we even approach the table this afternoon, this morning, could you tell yourself of what Christ has done on the cross? what God our Heavenly Father had to go through by sending his one and beloved son to die on the cross, to redeem our past, to give you present hope and power and future right now for your present lives so that we can live in fulfilled and beautiful life now and know and be assured that in heaven that we will spend eternity in heaven and for the unbelieving parents here i'm talking to you if you do not believe and you've gone through this excruciating and you've labored over this question could you give your life to christ jesus could you could you submit your life and say god i I understand this world has absolutely nothing to offer i'm going through this pain and i'm angry to you god and And I understand that, I understand that. But could you turn that anger and maybe turn it into a submission to God who loves and cares for you? Can we just go into a time of prayer right now as I invite you to close your eyes? I wanna give you guys about 30 seconds before we approach the table to think, reflect. Maybe right now you know of someone who's going through this pain, through this question. Maybe God is tugging at your heart to be that community, community to lend the ear and to bring comfort, hopefully through the passages that I've shared with you this morning. Maybe you're that individual who's just so overwhelmed with guilt. God forgives you. Not only does he forgive you, he wants to redeem it. He wants to give you hope, present hope, so that you could beautifully live.